In every real estate transaction, something comes up that the buyer or seller may have a question about. But in the heat of the moment, the question goes unanswered. Each episode, I talk with real estate experts and real estate vendors to provide a look at what goes on behind the scenes in the real estate world to get you answers. I blend in local Santa Cruz history, add some tips and tricks, all designed to help you be successful in your next real estate project. Tell your friends you can't talk right now because you are with The Realtor Lady. I am Michelle Replogal, and you are with The Realtor Lady. And today I have Doug Katz on, and he is a lender in Chicago. Chicago? I am in Chicago, yep. Yep. I actually live a little bit northwest, like an hour northwest. Got it. Uh, We were talking just generally uh, kind of insider industry stuff as we do when we get together real estate with nerd stuff, real right? estate nerds. Yes. Well, that's what the whole podcast is basically real estate yep, nerd absolutely. stuff. And you brought up a topic that I had never heard of, which was basically specializing in divorce lending. And that caught mm-hmm. my ear because I'm always trying to provide um, information and stuff that people may not n- normally hear about. And um, you also mentioned just uh, in passing too, that you're a mediator and you also specialize in helping people getting started new, maybe after a divorce. Was that something I think? New kind things, of... but it did sprout from the divorce business. So yeah, I'll talk a little bit about the podcast we've got. Perfect. And then uh, we're just going to shift into talking about the 2022 market and, and where that's yeah. going, which is interesting because when you and I first connected, it was a totally different landscape. And yeah, there was no war or nuclear threat. Yeah. So, um, right. but, right. but I'll, I'll let you take it away. You can tell us a little bit about yourself and, and maybe how you got into this specialty and then explain your specialty. Absolutely. So, um, divorce lending is, it's something that many people, including many divorce attorneys don't know about. Um, but the best way to understand it is kind of understand the industry and everybody knows about 2008, but 2008 really brought out the fact that lending guidelines are really monolithic in many ways. There's got to be purely objective when you're evaluating a file for an underwriter. So it works except for things like divorce, right? Divorce has a lot of unique components to it. And every client I talk to who's going through like, hey, but my credit's good. How come I can't get this or whatever? Well, they don't match where the guidelines are. So divorce lending is really looking at what are the challenges with divorce in general, right? You've got income, you've got split assets, you've got all these kind of things as it applies to resolving the home. And you've got guidelines that are very specific in what they allow, especially with things like income. You know, most income, as an example, you have to have a six-month history. If you don't plan for that in a divorce, if it's something like child support or alimony, you don't have that six-month history. When there are things that you can do when you make a divorce lending professional, and that's actually the term, believe it or not, for a particular segment. There's people who focus on it. But there's an organization called the Divorce Lending Association that gives a certification called the Certified Divorce Lending Professional, where we're really taught in a a formal manner. You know, again, I had already done divorce deals on a regular basis, but taught a lot of things that we might not have known. Um, There's a a woman named Jody Bruns who started it and, and really wrote the book. Like she wrote several books on it. Um, and gives great information, but also like everything else, it's always changing. So if you're not keeping up to date on the changes, then you sort of 
then you're out of the loop, right? So, I, but wait, I, I've what got that changes? Starting. Lending guidelines um, or yeah, what's changing? Fannie Mae's gone back and forth on alimony and things like that, and how it's looked at, and if if you can put it as a liability versus a income piece, um, a negative income. So if someone's paying alimony, it could go two places. Um, it could have a profound effect on a deal. I can't get, because of limited time, I can't get that deep into it. But generally, there's a lot of mistakes people make, and they're mistakes of omission, right? They're, they're lenders that don't know this. Most lenders you talk to, if you're saying you're going to get a divorce and you have to refinance home or buy something, they're going to say, call me after the divorce decree. That's the absolute worst thing to do. So as a divorce professional, I work with people, hopefully right when they're deciding to get divorced. And a lot of times people, when they think of divorce, it's they think of contested divorce. They think of going to trial. They think of kind of what they know. The real yeah. trends these days are more toward mediation and, and collaborative divorce in a lot of situations because it preserves more assets. So really, we become part of the team when everybody's figuring out what are we going to do for, for um, alimony? What are we going to do for child support? There's been times where I've been integral and and now more than ever in crafting that divorce decree and sometimes helping people get the right temporary agreement while they're getting the decree done to ensure they're in the best position to buy a, ref buy a new home or refinance the old one. And, um, and there's some coaching, you know, you'd mentioned I'm a mediator. I got that after the divorce lending certification because I've talked about the, the science of it, right? The, the guidelines, the making sure that things match up to be able to get the loan approved. The art of this is understanding divorce in general. I, I came from a divorce family. My parents divorced when I was two. Um, and as a result to me, it was, it was important to help on both levels. And being a mediator, if I'm dealing or co-mediating with somebody or co even co-representing, I can understand both sides of it and help people come to the best alternative for them to preserve assets. Um, but, but the other part of the certification, the other part of being a professional in this is thinking of it as a practice. I'm a divorce professional who does loans. So when I'm working with somebody who's getting divorced or a couple of getting divorced, it's important for me to know the guidelines. It's also important for me to understand the dynamics, the emotion, all of the things that are going through people's heads. Now, for me, again, I understand it because that's what I grew up with. Um, but there's also an aspect of professionalizing that, being able to be, um, you know, to emp emp uh empathic or empathetic, uh, to a situation, but also being, I want to say forceful, but assertive in helping them go the right way. They could be making a decision purely based on emotion or something like that. And I can kind of bring it down to, I totally get it. I understand it. I've, and I felt it. I've never been divorced myself, but again, coming from a family, uh, that had divorce in it, but being able to bring that to it and get them to the best solution. So let's just be clear. What are guidelines? When you when a loan goes in is submitted, if it's put together well, it's got all the documentation, and there's guidelines, things like credit score, uh, your, the 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 ratio of your income versus your debt. Uh, there's all sorts of things. Basically, every aspect of that loan is a guideline, and an underwriter looks at it and says, "Is it or isn't it?" So when you look at income as an example, I talked earlier. Um, with income, you need a six month history and three years continuance. It's either is or it isn't, right? So if you're thinking about something like alimony or child support, if you don't have 
three or uh, six months of prior examples of child support being paid to include a temporary settlement agreement. You, what you're trying to show is that someone has the means, the ability, and the willingness to pay at a certain time. So you could actually have a temporary settlement agreement that doesn't match the divorce decree, but you could get the whole six months. A lot of lenders don't know that. That's just one guideline where the guideline says six months, three years. The professional says, you're in a unique situation. Let's figure out a way to get you to best match that guideline to get that refinanced done more quickly or to get you to be able to purchase the home. And there's literally, you know, for a given given type of loan, there could be 30 or 40 guidelines. Um, and so that's got to match up. And when I say they're objective, there's a term called fair lending. Again, that objectivity is required by regulation because if you're if you are making an exception, you are by definition discriminating, right? Because you're making because you're making a, a choice oh, okay. to do something that's other than objective. I'm not saying discriminating against a protected class, but you're you're if you would do it for this person and not this person, then you're creating a, 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 a like an imbalance or a, an inequality there. So guidelines are very very specific. It's the job of the right professional. And if you're calling 800 number for, um, you know, a large institution and you're not looking at someone who's focused that way, you're really taking a risk because do they know the guidelines? Are they keeping up on it? And do they understand the emotions that you're going through? So in the same way, they don't pick a lawyer. They pick a family practice lawyer. They don't pick maybe, you know, if they're going collaborative, they don't pick a a financial neutral who's got an experience in that. You know, they are picking someone who knows what they're doing. They've got to look at the lending side. I'm looking for a divorce professional that does loans. And it's a it's a very different thinking. And it's it's becoming more common. I mean, you're seeing more and more people get into this this specialization. Um, some to make money, some to help people. Why would Fannie Mae flip flop on the um alimony and what, you know it's it's the theory if there? you remember when um you know, and it's really whatever's going on in 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 the world at that time. When you saw um, when Trump was president and they changed the whole tax code, one of the things they did was not make alimony tax deductible. If you make that non-tax deductible, it there's an, there's an impact on that, right? Because it's costing the payor more, and they have a set paycheck. The payee then gets less money. So it's they don't do it on purpose. They're not like going, we're going to change this but they make changes that have an impact on divorce sometimes. That specific one was specifically for divorce. But the other times things can happen is, let's say Fannie Mae, let's say Fannie Mae changes their rules on self-employment. They do that a lot based on the risk in the market. You saw a lot of changes during COVID that then were then reversed as COVID is starting to to wane. Um, Those kind of things become important to have a lender that knows that and how it applies to divorce because they're going to be able to look and say, wow, you, you've got 18 months to refinance, let's say, right? But let's say you need two years of job history. You will not be able to refinance. So Wait. let's say you get a job right after the divorce right? and you get a job that's hundred percent commission or you're self-employed. Oh, and right. let's say you're awesome at being self-employed. Let's say in your first year, you blow your numbers away. You make a million dollars. Fannie Mae needs a two-year job, a two-year history of earning money self-employed. 
So it doesn't matter how well you're doing. The guideline says what the guideline says. If you structure the divorce decree to say you have to refinance in 18 months or less, but your income doesn't count for 24 months, you've created a divorce decree that's unenforceable and you have to sell the house. Right? Because there's no way you can refinance if you don't have that income. So this is where things, it's just important to understand that. And it's really important just to have someone who understands the market and how it applies to divorce. We're going to be talking a little bit later about rates. Well, if you're making an assumption that you can refinance in 18 months and you're not looking at rates and you have not talked to a good lender that understands divorce, then you could say, well, I'll just do it in 18 months. Let's say rates go up a point. You may not be qualified in 18 months. You're so, selling that house. Are you most effective if you catch people before they get divorced? Yes. As early as, if someone could call me, I would love for them to call me to say, I'm thinking about divorce. Because first thing, I can send them to the awesome professionals that I work with. And I get to co-mediate and co-represent and work with great teams of people. So I would say to people, and we talked about this on my podcast once, you shouldn't necessarily, I mean, some people make up their mind on divorce, but, you know, explore all, all the stuff that's out there. Don't listen to necessarily a brother-in-law or sister-in-law or somebody, you know, I use that as an example, but anybody out there who may have an agenda, go out there and find out a lot of information. So if someone's even thinking about it, they can call me. But yes, if they've decided to get divorced, and I would argue before they file, because oh. once you filed, it's in the system. You're actually part of a lawsuit, right? Like at the end of the day, the 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 divorce is, a, 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 you know, it's, it's a legal process. There's things that you might want to do before you file. Um, and if you're not thinking through what the steps are and letting the emotion of like, I'm just going to do it, um, you could be making a mistake because you can't, well, I guess you can unfile and then refile, but you're talking about a lot of, of pain. Um, the other thing is you may find out that the only thing of value that you're dealing with is the home. Well, maybe you maybe you hire a mediator differently, right? Like a lot of the mediation I do is specifically for people whose biggest asset is their home. If they're like, Doug, we've kind of worked out the parenting plan. We're getting help from a from an attorney who's giving us some, you know, limited scope representation and helping us there. But the house is really the sticking point. I can guarantee I charge less than an attorney or a mediator who's the broad-based mediation because I'm a very specific, I have a very specific role. So, you know, it's just, it's a different thing. So I think if people start talking to all the right professionals, me included early on, they're going to have a better experience with everything in the divorce. Do people, uh, are, are there different uh, or are there representatives in each state? Because I would imagine some of the laws yeah, are different. Yeah, they, they, the, uh, they're, they're certified divorce lending professionals everywhere. And and again, I would argue, argue that you want to go with somebody who is where you're at. Right. Because they're also going to have... I get questions all the time. I'm not a lawyer. Like if I'm helping people out and there's a legal question, one, I wouldn't do it because I could give bad advice. But two, the liability is huge. So if you're talking to someone... If you call an 800 number as an example, you don't know where they are. They probably don't have connections in that market. If you've got a specific question that touches on the legal or, or, or an accountant or whatever, they're going to have people who understand what the laws are, where you are. And that's really important. Wow. And how many contentious do you, do, do you run across them or is it, if it's contentious, they're just, they're in court and you can't help well, them. I'm sorry, with, with who? Contentious divorces. Contentious divorces? You know, it varies. Like, um, I I was part of the um, 
uh, the collaborative group that works in Illinois. And just because they view um, divorce differently and typically don't represent people in very contentious divorces, um, I was doing a lot of co-mediation and, and working within a collaborative team. And collaborative divorce is really cool. For anyone who hasn't seen it, whole nother show, but it's something for people to go and explore because the outcomes are good, especially for the kids, which is really, really important because I think people forget that. When you're talking about contested divorces or ones that go to litigation, a lot of times I'm 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 more representing one person. I'm, I'm co-representing with an attorney, I would say, and I'm helping them get what's best for their client. But they, they, they fall into all different levels. What I would say for most people, though, is unless you have no assets or anything, before you go prose, which means you get no help at all, like you go online and go to LegalZoom or whatever. Do it um, no low. NOLA forms. Talk to, yeah, talk to people in the area because the same way I say attorneys and other people make mistakes, aside from lending, you're looking at making huge mistakes across the board and saving whatever, a couple thousand bucks isn't worth losing more or then having to go back and get a lawyer anyhow for, for you know, post-decree stuff. It's just talk to the professionals before you make that decision. There's great attorneys out there who may charge you a little to tell you what you really need, but but will steer you down the right path so you don't make mistakes. Yeah, in our area, I had recommended to someone that they actually jump to a bigger area. Uh, we're next to Google, Facebook, and Zillow. Uh, Zillow. Uh, right. we're, we're, we're next to where there's some very heavy hitters, and I was like, why don't you just go to where the heavy hitters are? <laughs> Those are some good attorneys over there. And that person are, did really know, good. Our local attorney, they just weren't that great. No, I get it. You know, and for me, which I find I'm happiest, like I don't work with a lot. I haven't worked with a lot of the big firms. I've got a couple uh, attorneys that I work with at bigger firms who have their own practices. But I like the smaller ones. And I, I do really like working with people who are um, who are, regardless of how they feel about each other, more drawn to mediation or collaborative. Um I just, it's something that I like to support with my skills uh, because, again, my situation was such that that stuff really didn't exist when I was younger and and my family went through it. And I think um, there's a lot more focus in those situations on a healthy post-divorce relationship for everybody. And conscious you know, uncoupling. I, I what's that? Conscious uncoupling. It is, yeah, it is. And, and, and I think that, I think there are a lot of people my generation, I know a lot of the attorneys I worked with were, were also children of divorced families. That's just not where they wanted their skill to be. And, you know, there's some who work on both sides and, and deal with um, contested divorces that, that are, you know, that go all the way to court. But I think that what's nice is they bring a little bit of that collaborative and, and mediation type thinking to that. Uh, as opposed to, you know, everyone always says they want a shark or a pit bull or whatever. They might not really, because at the end of the day, what I've seen working with a lot of these these folks is you end up at the same outcome in terms of a split, just with less money, because you paid a lot of people. You know, I, so you bring up two points. One is divorce has changed, almost evolved. Uh, probably yep. we just, couples didn't get, get, didn't get really, I, my parents were divorced. But that didn't really start happening till what, the early 70s, and it actually kind of yeah. became a thing. And yep. then we went through the cycle of the, the deadbeat parent, uh, 
Yeah. There was no money. That Okay. So that parent just kind of disappeared. So we have that. Then we go through a cycle of it's okay to get divorced. And then we have one party who's made a lot more money or worth a lot more money than the yeah. other person. Now we're finding ourselves, well, we have a lot of women in the workforce now. So if you have, you have, uh, there's same sex couples go through these issues as well. But yeah. Oh, yeah. But you have, you possibly have two very high income earners or comparable income yeah. earners. So, so that's really interesting. So I hadn't even really thought of that either is that it's changing. It is. It is. And, and sort of understanding those changes, you know, I, I may be a kind of a divorce nerd. At one point I was, I have to rejoin, but I was part of the, like the DuPage Bar Association as an affiliate and you can go to all kinds of things, um, as part of that. So I, um, I would go to stuff. I would like to hear, especially if it was like divorce and taxes and things like that. It's not like I'm going to be an expert, but just kind of having, having, knowing that, because let's say I'm working with a couple and I'm helping mediate and, and something's going, and then I hear something that I've heard before. I'm not going to make, give them advice, but I'm going to say, you know, I remember reading or hearing something about that being a tax implication. I, I really think you should talk to somebody about that. If they haven't talked to somebody who's, who, who's well-versed in that, then they really risk making some expensive mistakes. Well, yeah. It, it, here we are. <laughs> I, yeah. I, never, I guess it is it's kind lot, of a no, thing. I, but I think the, the, the nice thing, the, 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 the thing that I look at it, and, and feel optimistic about is there are more people who are consciously doing what you're talking, you know, conscious uncoupling. They're very much thinking about the impact of what's going on. And you can feel the tension between some of these couples that will soon be ex-couples, but they're putting other things first. And there's great professionals who are, who are encouraging that as opposed to what you see in the media about what the, what the, the, the divorce attorney that people think that divorce attorneys are, they're out there, but I'm seeing so many who are really invested in the outcome it's, that it's fair and equitable and that the kids end up good and that both people get a new start, right? Like that's, that's what it's about. It, it's, this should be an event to something in the future that sets people up for a act two. It shouldn't be all out war and scorched earth. Yeah. I was watching um, the Dre, uh, Dr. Dre and his wife's divorce mm -hmm. and the media portrayal and how mm -hmm. it was, she got all this money and he had to pay out all this money. And it was like, well, we don't really know what's going on there. And these headlines are really disingenuous yeah. to, to all parties yeah. and their children. And it, it was just really, it really sad. And somewhere it could have just been an attorney somewhere was kind of pumping this to get the outcome they were looking for. You know, the, the other thing that I think that, that I see and, and I'm able to help out with is you see, I'm going to call it temporary insanity. It's probably the wrong word, but, but <laughs> people's emotions and the stress and things put them in a position to where they are not thinking in their right mind. And the other good trend, you know, the trend of bringing in like lending professionals like me is also getting coaches, uh, divorce coaches and more therapists involved because you know, the same way I'm a military veteran and you're seeing huge movements forward in acceptance of things like PTSD and other things in the military where you're not called names and a wimp or whatever because you get help. There's more of that support, at least what I'm seeing in the divorce world. And it's good. It helps me people make good decisions. Like 
it, it, when you're making an emotional decision in a point of stress where you may might not be thinking right and may literally be going through a psychotic break if on the extremes <laughs> to be able to bring it back and say this decision helps no one is immense to that and i see it happen i, I see it happen sometimes when i help people with the house and they're like oh wow you know what i'm doing may not put a house over my kid's head or, you know it's like when they get it like oh wow that's not that's a pyrrhic victory right that no, nobody wants to win that way. You won, but at what cost? So you have professional, I mean, doctors are the same way. Uh, unfortunately, my husband had a heart attack a couple of weeks ago. And Holy moly. I didn't get to visit him, but the doctors would call right. me. And they were just like, hey, what's going on? I was like, yeah. so it's not much different than the divorce professionals, or the attorneys or the doctors as they learn they have to treat the whole person. They can't yep. just go in and, Oh well, we you know we 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 put a stint in. You're all good. No, we have to treat the. We have to make sure his wife is okay. What if he's upset about his yeah. family not knowing what's going on? You yeah. know what I mean? Like, oh, not yeah. just the people looking at all the effects, but the people that they've hired to work for them or help them are also keeping their eye on that ball of all the things that are involved. Well, and Bigger there are picture. even appraisers who are specialized in it, right? Where you hear, um, you know, like everybody's working stuff out. And sometimes it's like a, like a, like a seal team six mission to get an appraisal done. Right. Where, you know, you've got to wait because one spouse might be causing issues and you've got to wait till they go and somebody has got to go in and, you know, it's, it's a very interesting market. Like, but you know, I, I, I went to it initially. I had been, I had managed, right. I had been sort of running sales teams and I got tired of one people making more money than me. Cause you, when you manage, you never make the money, but two, um, I just got tired of the corporate grind and I, and I wanted to do my own practice. And when I got there, I was like, what, where did I really feel good? And that's when I realized helping people through something that I could connect with felt huge, like doing loans. You know, everyone always says, Oh, you're giving people homes and things like that, but it gets mundane. And you know, every, every time that I help a couple get a good new start and start something new, um, by, by knowing that they're both taken care of from a home perspective, it's, it's pretty profound on, on, on how I feel. And how does your mediation or kind of your new start aspect fit into all this? So the, the starting, the, the starting, the getting started dot life is my podcast. And I have it with a partner. I used to have a company called Split Ready that we've since shuttered, but it was about very consciously going into divorce. And it drew more upon my military experience about like working through a process. But we had a podcast and it was like total divorce nerd stuff. And it got just too, too granular. So we were like, what are we really about? Like, what, what, why are we in this? And it was about new starts. And she's a, she's a mediator. Um, uh, her company's called Keystone Mediation out of uh, Indiana. And that's what I do my mediation through her company. But we were sitting here talking and we were like, well, it's about new starts. So why don't we talk about new starts? And if you, if, if you ever look at my bio, I'm, I'm like a serial starter of new things. And a lot of them stay but I like doing new things. I, I don't think it should be a bucket list. I think it should be about, about exposing yourself to new things. And so we were like, why don't we come up with a way to communicate to that to people? And, and it, basically on our show, everything's, everything is on the table. Um, we've done shows on, you know, we're about three months, three or four months in. We've done everything from ballroom dancing to, so you want to buy a gun, right? And what are the steps you go through to not make a mistake there? And, um, you know, uh, we did one on, um, what was the last one we did starting your day, the five things to do. So the formats, like the five things that you should do 
and the one mistake that you should avoid. Um, but it, it brings a positive spin to what we do with that mediation or that divorce engagement. Uh, and it's on, it's on a network that is um, generally geared toward singles, but singles who are newly single. Um, but I, listen, I look at it and say, everybody should be starting to think, right? I look at it and say, how many times do people say, God, I wish I had like, and, and sometimes it's great, right? Sometimes you're like, well, I started something new and it became a lifetime hobby. And sometimes you're like, that was not the, you know, and immediately you're like, that's not the right thing. Or later on, like, I so wanted to play the banjo. Like I really wanted to play. And I, and I bought a banjo. I took lessons. I tried everything. And one day I realized just I'm terrible at it. Like, I'm just not. And so I, I put it down, right? And I don't do that anymore. But, you know, I'll pick things up like that all the time. And, and it's something that I think is, it's good. It's good to always be learning, especially for my divorce clients, right? My divorce clients, it's like, y- you should be looking at what's in the rearview mirror is in the rearview mirror. And you could go drive down that road, but if it's a bumpy road, you're making a mistake. So like find something new, find something that gives you joy, find multiple things or get your life in order, right? Like if, if, if disorganization is causing challenges where we've had shows more kind of about skills, like life skills and others about like, you know, we did one about the, how to be better in bed. Like that's an important skill, but it's a different skill than how do you optimize your tax situation? but they're no less important for any individual. And do you do one-on-one sessions with people to help them or? No, this is a, this is just a, this is a show. It's my radio show. Oh, got it. Okay. Okay. So I don't coach, but um, a lot of the people we have on, um, we do it so that they can find those subject matter experts. But um, it really goes in line with kind of when you ask like about the, why I'm in the divorce thing. Again, it is a great submarket, but it's about getting people new starts. And that's kind of what we wanted to have out come out in our show. But there are coaches out there who help people with everything, I'm finding. I find with divorce and when people pass away that the people I work with get really stuck. And they, I can't, yeah. you know, unsticking them. You know, sometimes the physical aspect of it, actually just moving them out of a house helps them. Because then they really have it to does. move out of it. But getting... You know, I think that's great that you do that restart kind of stuff, but just getting them to be even interested in and in not uh, rehashing oh, yeah. the same thing. You know, it's and it's funny as a realtor, you know, how much how important it is to kind of be detached, right? Like you have to be engaged, but detached. And I always tell my clients, don't be emotional in your decisions. And, you know, at one point in my life, I kind of really got into Zen. Like I, it was just a, a point where I went through a lot. And I'm like, wow, like I really dig it. I was, I did martial arts for a long time. And there were some very, very great lessons to learn about what you're talking about, about letting go, right? I mean, I think that's applicable to if you got a listing, right? And somebody's got to sell a house for less or whatever. Sometimes you have to let go and just deal with what's in the market and not what baggage you've got. Um, but it works well for divorce and works well for everything is you, you, you take something for what it's worth, you recognize it, you acknowledge it, and you move on with what lessons you can get from it. And, and if I can bring that to people, either helping them with the next phase from their housing perspective or what I do on my show, that's, I think it's a great, it's a great thing for people to look at because you should always be growing. I mean, you only got so long here. (laughs) Well, and I think it's really important when you, when you're talking to people about that is you're helping them make decisions for themselves because what I actually just did a small little, 
I think it was like a nine minute little podcast snippet of just some of the most unhappy people I've met with with decisions they've made is because they made them based on what someone else wanted them to do. Oh yeah. And if they bought or sold a house because someone else wanted them to more than likely, they won't blame that person. That person's name may come up, but more than likely they'll just blame themselves and they'll just think, you know, so they get stuck there only because they were listening to someone else and they knew they should have been listening to themselves. Yeah. Well, and I think it's about, it's about triangulation and determine the military where if you're, if you're at a point on a map and you can shoot a compass, three, three different compass directions and know like a, something on the map, you can find where you are. Cause when you, when you triangulate, you've got enough data with those three lines and it's triangulating those decisions, right? It's talking to the right people. And I would never take one opinion. Like, why would you ever take one opinion? Even if it's someone I really trust. So that kind of thing, it's, you're but don't forget to, to take your own opinion. <laughs> oh, absolutely. But I also think a lot of people don't have, and this is what I run into in the lending side a lot. They don't understand their objectives. Yeah. So they're like, I got to get a loan. And it's like, okay, but how does that work with everything else? How does that work in the case of divorce? How is that going to work with your divorce? How does it work with your overall financial picture? But I think people make decisions on a lot of things siloed. And they're not looking at sort of that holistic, holistic piece. Yeah. And, and I, again, I see it in lending all, all the time, I, especially during divorce. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I, I, we have friends and family that weigh in a lot on, on people's decisions. And, yeah. and that's, you know, then they get very stressed out that they're making the wrong decision. And it's like, well, no, you, you, you got there. They're just, they're giving you whatever they think is good advice, but ultimately I, I do hear, well, I should have done this or that. And it's, yeah. Um, so where do you think the market's going to go this, this year? I, this is going to be a great compliment because I'm going to have you on. And then in a week later, I'm going to have another gentleman on. He's, he's really excited to forecast the market. I cannot get very many people to come on and talk yeah, about what they think is going to happen. What I was going to say is, I was going to say, I, I can't forecast it because anybody's tracking, it's been, and I don't think I could have, really proficiently done it for for a long time because nobody thought rates would stay as low as they have. You could look at trends, but but trying to time the market at any point is really, I always tell my clients, don't try and time the market. You're not, I, I've been doing this 21 years. I've had numerous mortgages. I've never caught it at the bottom. There's just no way to do it unless you're lucky. Um, I think the general consensus is up. Things have been low for a very long time. You've got inflation that's pretty profound. You've got um, a Fed that's gone on record as saying they're going to be raising rates. And and I've read articles in different periodicals, anything from a quarter point each time, and they're likely going to raise it five times to even more. Now, what the Fed does does not directly map onto what happens in the, the mortgage market, but the trends are usually the same. So I I would say it's going up. And I kind of tell people, if you're making a decision, always make the decision based on the fact that you recognize that it could likely be going up. What's going to go up? The interest rates. Ah, gotcha. Right? So it's, it's, it's something where people get used to a particular thing, a particular way, and they think that's the way it's going to be forever. You talk to a bunch of people out there who are going out to buy homes and they're going to tell you what happened to those amazing rates. Well, in their mind, they're like, that's what rates should be. Anyone like me who's been in the market, 
this long says you will never see those rates again. And the fact that they were that low for that long was unprecedented. And I've used unprecedented more times than I ever would have thought I've done in the past couple of years. Granted, they go, they went up and they went back down, but there's an artificiality to all this. Yep. And it is going to move up. Um, and I always tell people, make the decision before I kind of talk at where we could see, make the decision based on the rates at that point. And I always tell people, look at a graph, not of the last six months, look at last year or two years or three years, because small changes on a small graph look like big changes because you got to make the scale match. That sells a lot of, that gets a lot of clicks, right? It gets a lot of things that the people who want you to read those articles, you know, it gets you to click in there, but it might not be a real representation. I'm doing deals now. Rates have clearly moved into the fours for conventional loans. Yeah. And people are aghast. And I'm like, okay, look at the last 10 years now on a graph. And they're like, oh, like, yeah, you know, the the last two years is kind of like this. There's movement. And then the last, you know, it's the rest is like this. So it's got to be all taken in context. But Do you think, I think we're going to stay in the, the chip, four to fives or you think we'll be kind uh, of rest there? That they could be as much as five by the time we hit 2023. Um, last two weeks ago, I think it was, I went out to visit some clients. I checked pricing for a couple of clients. I went out to, to visit some other clients and they called me in the afternoon and they're like, okay, um, we want to go ahead and lock. And I pulled up the rates and they were up half a point across the board. So things, I think there's no, there's no consistency to how rates move. Um, rates can move multiple times in a day and they can move a quarter point, an eighth a point, an eighth a point, a quarter point, three eighths of a point. It can move that way in a week. So it's very, very hard. Things might move in a tight group, but it's sort of understanding what's out there. But I always tell people, make the decision in that time with how much time you have. I can't tell you how many people I talked about refinances were like, I'm going to wait for them to go back down. And I'm like, but you're making the assumption they will. What if they're at the low point in 100 years? I hope you live that long, but that's not what's going to happen. Yeah. So right now, I think that the challenge for most of the people that I'm dealing with is rates are going to go up. Um I would say to expect five wouldn't be un, an unfair uh, unfair expectation. But the problem is there's no inventory. So the, the thing that I say, regardless of what my forecast or anyone's is, is work with and check in with a communicative lender, right? If you've got a pre-approval and they're not communicating on a pretty regular basis about where rates are, you might want to ask a question. I wrote an article um, right when rates went up that talked about that because the argument is you may think you're approved for a certain amount and you're not, right? Mm -hmm. This is what I talked to on the divorce side. Right now, if I was getting a divorce or I knew somebody getting a divorce and they were making certain assumptions on what they could afford, they need to talk to a lender because when rates go up, they may not they may not be able to afford it. And they might be thinking, hey, I can't tell you how many times in the last week, what happened to those three percent rates? And I'm like, well, you're you're, you know, you're in a time warp, man. That's not how it's going these days. So I mean, I think they're going up now. I don't know, I don't know how much that'll help the housing market, but every time it goes up, you lose some people. Um, and right, because the people were just on the bubble at four. At four and an eighth, can't afford a house. 
And so every time you're losing buyers and some people leave the market too because it doesn't fit their budget. So I, I've got to think it will have an impact on supply and just the situations out I think there. I right it'll now. make it worse. And then uh, we'll start seeing cash come back. Yeah, but important thing on cash, you, you know, if you buy with cash, you should still finance it. It's a 90 day, 90 day rule from the IRS. That again, it's, you know, no, you should. It's know, just but. your competition. Yeah, we were oh, an offer no, a few 100%. weeks ago. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they were cash. They came in and I, and it was like a light bulb moment. I went, oh, yeah, rates go up, cash comes back. I mean, because we just really hadn't seen that much cash. Yeah. There just wasn't. Well, you're going to see arms come back. But right now, oh, I mean, yeah. again, if, when rates are in like the 4% range, it's crazy to get anything but a 30 year fixed and to leverage what anything but what you're comfortable with. If, if inflation's at 7%, and you can borrow at 4 that that's a pretty winning winning game there. Yeah. You're borrowing less than inflation. Yeah. So but yeah, I think I think they're going up. I, and and I think people need to plan for it. If you were waiting on doing a refinance, if you're going to be doing a project on your house and you're going to have to refinance, um it's only going to be more expensive later on. So I, I don't know that they should make buying decisions on that because, you know, I think sometimes, I mean, I'm sure you've seen clients who are like, I have to buy. And it's like, you don't have to do anything. You buy when it's right. Um, but uh, I think they just need to put that into their decision cycle as they're looking at buying um, and, and know that a half a point jump in a day can happen. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I, I just put out a little tiny reel that just said, you know, buyer's market, seller's market, it's really when it's best for you. And if, if it all works, then it, then it, that's the time that it works. And if you can make yes. those numbers yes. work for you, buying and selling, that's the time. Because I, I have had people that have bought at the right time and did really wonderfully and then turned around five, six, seven, eight years later, thinking that they had some sort of magical touch and, you know, they did fine, but it wasn't. Yeah. Yeah. People who think they can do that, especially in real estate, maybe once it's or time, twice. You, yeah. But you can't time anything. No. You can't time anything. But, um, it, you know, again, what you are seeing, though, on the lending side is foreclosures are now up um, and the foreclosure moratorium is gone. Yeah. Um, anybody who is in forbearance is now not um, because that's all coming to an end. That might help some of the supply side stuff, because if someone was in forbearance, they're technically not behind and they may look. And as we get in the spring market, look and say, boy, there's no way I can pull out of this tailspin. I'm going to sell while I can not have it be a short sale, get some money out of it, rent and regroup. Um, and not that that's good, but I, I don't know if it would be bad for the market. I think it would actually be pretty good for the market. So on the lending side, things are going to be pretty different from that perspective. We have so much equity out here that um, we run into occasionally where they they're behind or they haven't made their payment uh, or, you know, uh, there's been a recording and you got lien against the property, you know, but right. they, they, they even make money. I mean, they're just, there's some, there's just oh, so yeah, much equity yeah. out here. Yeah. Yeah. And, and people, I think people get again into that mindset that, you know, I can't sell, this is my home. And, and I hate to say that it's just sticks and bricks, right? At the end of the day, you take the memories with you, you take all that stuff with you. You don't want to go down with the ship. Um, and, and I think people, you know, again, kind of circling back to divorce, sometimes people make that, even when I look and I say, this is really stretching you, 
Um, even if I can get them approved, I, I have to, right? At that point, from if they want that loan, I by law have to give it to them. But um, it's sometimes not the right. People are stuck in that in that mode. Yeah, I did a lot of short sales in 2010 and 2011. Was, those are rough. Those, those are really are rough, rough, right? But you know, it's so it's interesting because we would go to the sign offs, even though they weren't getting anything. They were so happy. It was like, oh, I'm finally relieved of all this. You know, they oh, didn't, yeah. didn't want to yeah. lose it. But generally, for the most part, they were ecstatic to lose that house. Get rid of that house. Yeah, and I think, you know, it is it is interesting, like when some, again, some of my divorce clients where they project their discomfort with selling onto the kids or something, right? Where they're like, this is where my kids live and, you know, I don't want to upset them. And I'm like, I've had to have the conversation to say, but will they be more upset in three years when you get foreclosed on? Yeah. You know, and they're like, but, and you, but I can't put them through the trauma. I'm like, believe me, this other trauma is going to be worse. And you, you know, so I think, I don't, I think the spring market's going to be interesting because they, people say divorces are up. I, I, you know, I, I can't speak to that definitely, but um, it's definitely going to be an interesting spring market in both my businesses. Interesting. Yeah. It's going to be an interesting year for, I just keep waiting for more inventory to come on and it's so far not yes. happening. And it's like, ugh. yes. Uh, but one of my mantras is I have been in all markets for over 17 years and I'll stay in it no matter what. So, uh, you know, just hang in there and learn. Absolutely. But now in this crazy market, it's the time to get the best professionals is always what I say. There were a lot of people who got into this when it was easy in lending and real estate and the good realtors I know. Um, they work their tails off, uh, and the lender on the same side, there's a lot of guys I know who got into this business, you know, younger, uh, who are all refinances. And now that we're turning into a different market, you got to find the right person to, to take care of you. I think, yeah, I mean, I think in any market it's true, but I think these, you know, the harder markets or the markets that are more difficult to get people who have actually been through a couple difficult markets versus new agents. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, uh, where can people find you? You have a podcast. You don't have a podcast. I do. So I'll go in reverse order. My podcast is called getting started. Life. That's actually the URL, but it's on uh, the WGSN going solo radio network, but it's also on their YouTube and it's anywhere you get a podcast. So, uh, or if you search my name, K A T Z last name, you can find it. Uh, and we have all the episodes on www.gettingstarted.life. Um, on the lending side, uh, if you're looking for help specifically with a loan, I work for a company called On Time Mortgage uh, out of Illinois, and you can reach me at um, Doug, D-O-U-G, at ontimemtg.com. So O-N-T-I-M-E-M-T-G, which is mortgage abbreviated, dot com. It'll be in um, the show notes, too. Oh, good. Okay, good. Okay. Uh, And they can reach me there for mediation. Again, I'm with Keystone Mediation. uh, And all that information can be in there as well. So thank you for letting me plug all that. It's it's, it's a mouthful. And actually, what's funny is I closed two other side things I had going on. My wife was like, no more. Like, you've got to get rid of some of your some of your stuff. And so now I am downsizing on the, on the business side, but, um, yeah, they can reach me at any one of those. And if they reach me at one and need help within another, that's totally fine. I could cl- clear it up on the back end. I get it. I do a YouTube channel podcast, run my real estate business and own a laundromat. Do you, you own a laundromat? Mm-hmm. That wasn't that. Oh no, it was a car wash. I'm like, that's really breaking bad. Like, Oh, 
Um, <laughs> yeah, I have a, I have, I have like, I've got to post another one. I, I have a bunch of blogs to go up about our first six weeks because it was, it's very interesting. <laughs> yeah, I bet, I bet the uh, closed circuit TV cameras there are amazing. Like, you probably come in some days and are like, what? No, it's very mild. There, we got a good clientele that are very good. Oh, awesome. It's more like one of the times I, I turned around and it's a long story, but I turned around and the clothes were just like shooting straight out of the dryer, like across the laundromat. And it was just like, so I go and I figure out and I pack it back in. I turn around, I was doing it again. The guy had shoes in there and the shoes are basically beating the dryer door open. Oh, that's awesome. So yeah, just good you know, it's stuff a shame like that. that. You don't have like more crazy clientele because that, that has the making of a reality show. Oh yeah, it's... It's interesting. And it's, it's, um, I like, so because real estate has become such a solo sport, it's been nice because I get to be with people again and clientele where, you know, people are just like, I'll go to the open house. We don't meet to write the offers anymore. Right. Right. Uh, they watch my YouTube for most of their instruction. I have, you know, disclosures and, and off, you know, the offer and neighborhoods up there. I mean, for the most part, they just don't. They just need me to tell them it's going to be okay, and that's about it. Right. <laughs> I don't feel right. like I needed that. Although I got to tell you, there was one deal I had recently, and the person didn't get a realtor. And it was really funny because, you know, realtors get dogged out a lot. I think just generally, right? Why because I have this such, podcast. Right. There's no barrier to entry. Anybody can get in it, but not anybody, not everyone's good at it. But this guy didn't get a realtor. And it was really funny because then stuff started kind of falling through the cracks. Mm-hmm. And he's like, well, wait a minute. Like, I don't I don't want you do that. And it's like, well, no, first thing again, liability by law. I'm not going to fill those shoes because if I screw it up, you can sue me. But secondly, that's why you have a realtor. Like, what did you think happens? And it was really, really funny because everyone, you know, the attorney's like, I can't do that. Like, unless you want to pay me. Um, so it really, really always boggles my mind when people are like, I don't need a realtor. Really what they're saying is I don't need a bad realtor. I need a good realtor who knows what the hell they're doing. Yeah. Yeah. Or I think I can do it myself. Which is always hilarious too. Well, I want to thank you for being on. This has been a lot of fun. Thank you for your patience for the technical difficulties and time zones are always fun. All the different time zones. But the, the best thing about that is I get to talk to people from everywhere. This, um, yeah, you know what? That, I've noticed that on my show. Like, people are like, "Well, why do you do it? Is it that that much business?" Blah blah. I'm like, I've actually met some really cool people. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of fun. Awesome. Well, but thank, thank you. you so much for having me. You are so welcome. <laughs> <laughs>